0: I'll invite you to take your copy of God's word and look with me in Second Corinthians. I'm going to be looking at one verse this morning as our primary focus, Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Ultimately, the motive for all of our giving must be the grace of God given to us in Christ Jesus. Now, I hope that you grasp what I am saying, because we've labored to teach and preach to you that giving is not a legalistic endeavor. If you see the tithe and or giving is something that you have to do begrudgingly or um, out of compulsion or something like that, then you're missing the whole point of why God teaches us grace giving in the New Testament, and we labored one Sunday to talk about the tithe and what that meant in the Old Testament and how that transfers over to our New Testament understanding. And what you gain from the entire New Testament is ultimately this, the motive for all of our giving is in response to the grace of God given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is ultimately what we learn in the New Testament. This eight-word verse is actually called a christmas hymn 2nd corinthians chapter 9 verse 15 2nd corinthians 9:15 are you looking at the verse the bible says thanks be to god for his inexpressible gift handel brown called this the theme of all of christianity it's pretty amazing that that's brought together in one verse but it truly strikes that key note of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it speaks of a gift that is given to us. So in one verse, Paul is going to move from all of that theology on giving, which I, I told you that 2 Corinthians chapter 8-9 and 9 is the quintessential uh, two chapters in the Bible on the issue of giving. They're the most uh, detailed chapters in the Bible on giving. And so Paul is going to move from all of that theology to a doxology of praise to God. So his theology of giving leads itself to him praising God in a doxology and that's exactly what verse 15 is. It's not a command. It is an exclamation. It is a spontaneous shout of praise to God. It is a doxology. And again in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 Paul is going to reveal his entire philosophy on the subject of giving. And giving in response to God's amazing grace is vital and essential in the aspect of what true and genuine Christianity and discipleship looks like. So if you think you are a disciple of Christ and a follower, remember we preached for weeks on being a healthy church, if you would consider yourselves as a healthy disciple, yet you get a knot in your throat, And better yet, in your heart, when you start thinking about giving, then you need to check up on your true discipleship. You need to check up on the fact if you're genuinely a disciple that is following Jesus. So the ultimate motive for all giving is our gratitude to God because of His grace toward us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that your giving would be a commentary on the condition of your heart. I heard one amen over here. Y'all awake this morning? It'll also be a commentary on your love for Christ, not just your love for Christ, but your love for His church. And ultimately, even your love for the lost will be indicative uh, in the life of one who gives. So he knew that how we give is a commentary on our love for Christ. And this morning, what I want to do is examine just one verse. One verse of Scripture, 2 Corinthians nine fifteen. But keep in mind, if we had time to study it, and maybe we'll revisit it another day, you can really go through chapters 8 and 9, and you can find at least 12 amazing truths and principles for grace-giving in your life. There are 12 of them, and maybe I can provide those for you. But just to give you an example, outward circumstances and personal difficulties should not prevent generosity in our giving. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, the Macedonians gave out of extreme poverty, but they still gave. Number two, all financial giving should be preceded first by giving yourself to Christ. They gave themselves first to the Lord. 8, 5, those who follow Jesus should excel in the grace of giving. Now, we all like to excel in spiritual gifts, right? But Paul is asking us to excel in grace giving That's exactly right. Glad you asked. Number four, generous giving is an expression of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 8, verses 8 through 9. And I could enumerate all 12 of these, but for the sake of time, I won't. But the twelfth one is this. Generous giving is the natural response to God's gracious gift in Jesus Christ to us. And that's our focus today in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Let's see it again. Thanks be to God... For his inexpressible gift. And here's what I want to do. I want to divide this text into three parts this morning for our edification. And the first part is this. We need to remember the gracious giver. Do y'all see him in the text? He's actually mentioned twice in one verse. Thanks be to... For his as a pronoun. He's mentioned twice. And God is the gracious giver. Again... This verse concludes the mountain peak teaching on all of giving in the entire Bible that Paul sums up in chapters 8 and 9. All of that ends with this verse of doxology. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. So remember, verse 7 of chapter 9, the Bible says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or, or under compulsion, for God loves a you know what the translation of the Greek is? A hilarious giver. That means you just laugh and give, right? You give hilariously, and that's actually the Greek word. Now think about this. What God loves and honors in us is what He already is. He is the gracious giver. And that's why He can say to us, Don't give out of compulsion. Don't give begrudgingly, because God is the greatest giver of all. He is the gracious giver. And so what God admires and that which God requires out of us as His people, He is, and He also does. He is the original cheerful giver. God is the original cheerful giver. Now, I want you to think about God as the gracious giver in three areas. First, think of the ability of this giver. Y'all think y'all got an ability to give a gift? You don't compare to God. Think about the ability that He has. The Bible says that our God is rich in goodness. He's rich in grace. He's rich in glory. He's the God of the very universe that you're sitting in. And if He had given the entire universe wrapped into one small package, it would have have been pocket change compared to the gift that is spoken of in this text. He is the... Think of the ability of this giver... No one has the ability of our God to give a gift, right? He's the gracious giver. Think of the ability of this giver. Think also of the awareness of this giver. You know, we're approaching Christmas season. You know why I know that? Because I went into Home Depot. (laughs) Christmas lights were everywhere. And back in Pale City, we would go, and what would signal the Christmas season there would be to go into the Cracker Barrel, right? You go into the Cracker Barrel, and it moves from kind of... uh, they just skip over Thanksgiving nowadays, which is not a good thing. And I'll talk about that before. That's the most biblical holiday we actually have in the U.S. is Thanksgiving. But that's another sermon. But, but I went into Home Depot. No, actually it was Lowe's. I went into Lowe's here in Ozark. And they had all their Christmas trees up and selling lights and tinsel and all those kinds of things. But during this season, many gifts are given, right, that reveal very little awareness of what the recipient really needs, you ever thought about that? That's why some of you ladies practice re-gifting. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if you get a gift from my wife, it's been re-gifted. No, I'm just picking on her. You know, you love that re-gifting, don't you? You get that gift and you're like, "Woo! save me 15 bucks next year. I'm going to regift it. You ladies are so guilty. I see it on your faces and we re-gift and all those things. Now, there is a Christmas song that we use at Christmas parties often. It's a cumulative song where the list of things are enumerated and they're repeated. It's given uh, one longer stanza each time for the most part. And the singer gets all out of breath every time he sings it. And you know what it is, right? It's the 12 days of Christmas and it's supposed to uh, kind of uh, span that time between Christmas and the epiphany, the supposed date on which Jesus himself revealed himself to the wise men. But the song misses it. Because the wise men were at least probably a year and a half after uh, the birth of Christ. You do realize that biblically. But here's the deal you know it, don't you? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me? Yes. Then it goes on to give some pretty inappropriate and outrageous gifts, right? Now, there are people who have put the Christian terminology to these, and that's all fine and good. But think about this outrageous gifts two turtle doves, three French hens, six geese laying, seven swans swimming. Eight maids milking, ending with twelve drummers drumming. A partridge in a pear tree. What on earth would I do with a partridge in a pear tree, right? The song takes the keynote of a household where really ridiculous gifts would be given without any awareness at all. But God's gift is not like that. It's not a square peg in a round hole, or better yet, a round peg in a square hole. Where it doesn't fill your life like it should. See, God knows perfectly what your greatest need is. He he not only has the ability, but He has perfect awareness of what your greatest need is right now, today, sitting in your seat. He gave you life. He created you physically. The awareness of this giver is outstanding It is off the charts. He knows exactly what we need. Now think of the affection of the giver. Oh, please listen. For God so loved the world. Think of the affection of the very one who offers this gift in this passage. Many of our gifts, think about this, every Christmas are merely a part of an eternal, infernal swap out. Where we're just giving gifts to one another because it's the time of season we ought to do that. It's marked by a lot of guessing on our part to figure out what the individual might like. But God's gift is solely and exclusively because He loved us. How awesome is our God. God is not a peddler who sells His gift. He's not a merchant who barters His gift by simply finding a matching value. Our God is far too rich to sell it. He's far too awesome to be insulted. As a matter of fact, when you try to barter for it, beg for it, sell, buy it from him, he's insulted. Because this gift that this text says and speaks of can only be given to you as a gift. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I want us to pause this morning and think about the gracious giver. Think about this. He's been largely unworshipped, unserved, unloved, and deeply sinned against. And yet he is still the ultimate gracious giver. He is our God. Secondly, you need to rejoice in the glorious gift. You see it in the text. Thanks be to God for his his inexpressible gift. Now, It's not a purchase, it's not a reward. The Bible says it's a gift, and I want to remind you that this gift is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You see where I'm headed? You see why all of our giving should be in response to the gracious, glorious gift that was given to us by our God. This gift is like a diamond. And it reflects many, many facets when it's turned in the sunlight. And folks, you're never going to exhaust this gift forever. You can't exhaust the gift of Jesus Christ. No matter how you turn Him and look at Him, from whatever facet you think of Him, He's an awesome God. In John 4.10, the Samaritan woman, He said to the Samaritan woman, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that was offering it, you would have said to Him, Give me this drink, the gift is the Lord Jesus himself. Romans 6:23 says for the wages of sin is but the gift of is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So when God gave us Jesus, he gave you the ultimate storehouse of all treasures. Colossians 2 says in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What a gift he is. This gift and all that is included In the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the good and perfect gift. Consider with me that this word inexpressible is not used anywhere else in Greek language. It's almost like Paul was marching on through the issue of giving. And he was thinking about how God had graced him. How God had loved him. And he gets to verse 9, 15. And he uses a Greek word that he's never used before nor anybody else. Inexpressible. It's it's unspeakable. It defines something that cannot be fully expounded upon. In other words, the gift of Jesus Christ is beyond any human explanation. God's gift can never be humanly understood and fully explained. Do you all remember the Queen of Sheba? When she came to Solomon and she wanted to see all of his wisdom and his wealth, and she wanted to question him about the Lord... And she sees all of his servants and his glory and his wealth. And then says, It was true, the report that I heard in my own land of your acts and wisdom. But I believed not the words until I came. And my eyes have seen it and, behold, have, and have beheld it. And the half was not told. Your wealth and prosperity exceed the fame which I heard. I want to tell you, the gift of the Son of God is unspeakable in much more of a glorious way than even the things that the Queen of Sheba saw in Solomon's temple, or Solomon's palace. It's just completely incomprehensible to think of the wealth and the wisdom and the glory of Jesus Christ. And if you're saved today, that gift has been given to you. You've been given all of that wealth. Think of God's gift in this unspeakable way, in a similar fashion. As the old song says, there are depths of love that I cannot know until I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with Thee. Folks, can you imagine trying to explain the full character of God's gift to us in Jesus Christ? Can anybody do that here? Can you explain... The full effects, or the full content of the character of the Son of God, who is absolutely one hundred percent God, but condescended from heaven and took on human flesh and became not only one hundred percent God, but one hundred percent man. Can you just can we stop and just think of the full content of the God of the universe who spoke the world into existence? How phenomenal that is! Or, could you explain the full cost of this gift that God has given to us? That the Son of God would lay down His life to give you Himself. Think about that. Not only the content, but the cost. How about the contribution of it? You wouldn't be here today if it were not for the grace of Jesus Christ. The contribution into your life. Think about the full consequences of this gift for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son or one-of-a-kind Son that whoever believes will not perish. That's the consequence if you trust in Jesus. You won't perish. But if you reject that gift in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will perish. There's a danger this morning for everybody in this building if you're without Christ. And that danger is you will perish without that gift. So think of the consequences of that. And many Christmases don't even last through the holiday season. I mean, the gifts that you give. You forget what those gifts are in about three or four days, but this gift from God has infinite value in every facet of your life. So, the gracious giver is God. The glorious gift is Christ. And here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to respond with glad gratitude. You see it in the text? How does it start off? Say it loud. Well, it's well been said, it's largely true in our world, that if you want to find gratitude today, you better look it up in the dictionary. Our children are that way, aren't they, today, more so than ever? And 2 Timothy 3 says that that will mark the age to come when children are or ungrateful and they're disobedient. There's not a lot of gratitude in our world anymore, is there? But this particular doxology is gratitude to God and thanksgiving for the greatest gift that could ever be given to your life. And that's the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the response to this unspeakable, inexpressible gift? The first thing you need to do is think. That's a novel idea. Think about this gift. I think to think is to thank. And that's exactly why we do the Lord's Supper and and why Jesus Christ instituted it. So that you'll have that time where you pause to think and remember about what Jesus Christ did for you. To think is to thank. Think about this gift. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, that's enough, isn't it? Sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. You know how the verse goes? Sing it with me. For on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, say it, he bled and died to take away my sin. Yes! Right? Folks, that's it. And if you don't think about it, you won't be thankful. And that's usually why we're so tight-fisted. With all of our things, because you don't think about the gift that has been given to you and the cost involved in you being brought to glory. We don't stop and think about it. How about taking that gift? What's real gratitude? Real gratitude is to think about the gift. But not only that, but to take the gift. A person is not grateful for a gift if he refuses to receive it. And there are many of you in this building that have heard the gospel over and over and over and over. You're not really thankful because you've never taken it. You've never received the gift. Think, take. How about thank? We thank Him for the gift. You must feel and speak and praise God for this unspeakable gift. And then you need to trust. Trust God with your total life. And we're real good as Baptists thinking that, Oh, we trust you, God, with all of our things, but preacher, don't talk about our money. We trust God one hundred percent, but I do a better job with my checkbook and my finances than God could ever do. And that's really the way we actually see it. No wonder it's often been said that thanksgiving is really thanks living. Thanks living is a style of life accompanied by service of lips, not the other way around. It's real easy to give the lip service of thanks living, but never actually do the action. But I think if you're actually living a thankful life, then it will spew out from your lips. So we think about the gift, we take it, we thank Him for it, we trust Him. But God forbid that we would fail to tell others about Him. If you're really grateful for the gift of eternal life, then you must tell others of this unspeakable gift. You know, at Christmas time, when we receive gifts, we like to go tell everybody about it, right? And I know what Nathan would be saying, Check out my new Nerf gun, right? Yes, he would be talking about that Nerf gun, and I'm sure you talk about the gifts that you're giving at Christmas, but what about God? What about God? How often do you tell the world about God, and how faithfully do you speak about this unspeakable gift? Now, we're going to talk about this in the Sundays leading up to the Advent or Advent. Uh, I love preaching at Christmas time, so just get ready, right? As a matter of fact, we're starting off on December 4th. And Brother David Miller will be here preaching that morning. Just hold on and be ready. And I'm going to tell David, you're starting the Advent. As we light candle number one, we're going to preach on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we're going to go all the way up to December 25th. And yes, I'm going to preach on December 25th. But it's going to be a real short sermon because I've got to drive to Georgia. All right? No, it's not going to be a short sermon either. All right? But look, think, we're, we're, think about the Christmas story. Nearly everyone that heard the story told the story. Now think about this if we were preaching it the wise men told Herod the shepherds spread the word concerning all that had been told to them about the child Simeon praised God and Anna spoke about the child and waiting for the redemption of Israel and if we're really going to be thankful for the gift we need to celebrate in the same fashion we need to tell others about this glorious gift now in conclusion this is a call to contemplate Christ giving to us as our ultimate motive for giving. Folks, if you miss this, you miss why we're supposed to give. You've totally missed it if you don't understand that all of our giving is a response. Jesus was and is the great motivation for giving. Let me show you. Glad you asked. Chapter 8, verse 9. Turn it over there and look at it. Turn your Bible. That's just one, one step over. One page back in my Bible. Jesus is the ultimate motivation. Listen. For you know... Hey, there's that word again, right? Y'all see it? Are y'all awake? Y'all must want me to preach all the way to lunchtime. You better respond to me, right? By the way, chapter 8, verse 1. Grace of God. Verse 6. This is an act of grace. Verse 7. Excel in this act of grace. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Down in chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound. Folks, I like grace. And that's what this is about. All of our response is about grace. But listen to chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was For your sake he became, that through his, you might become rich. You say, well, when was there ever a time when Jesus was rich? Because the Bible says foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's not a Johnny come lately. There's never been a time when the Son of God did not exist. And folks, he could have held a white hot star in his hand. And yet, he was willing to get off his throne and come down to this earth and become poor like you and me. That is the ultimate list of giving. That is the ultimate motivation of giving, that he was rich in all of his glory but became poor. How? Because he became like me and you so that he could live a life that you and I could never live. And then he took that perfect body to the tree of Calvary and died in your stead to save you from your sins. So it is Christ and Christ alone who is the ultimate grace-giving God. He became poor so that through his poverty you might become rich. That, my friends, is heaven's stewardship program. He was rich and he became poor that through his poverty you might become rich. It is our pattern. If you'll read chapter 8, you'll find out that the Macedonians were not induced into giving by gimmicks or fear. I don't have any gimmicks to give to you. I don't have any fear tactics to tell you about giving. God is after your heart. Amen? God is after your heart. So down through the years, when I preach maybe one time a year on giving, if it comes up in the text, because I'm not one of the preachers who's going to get up every week. I mean, there are preachers who preach, and every sermon ends somehow talking about tithing. That makes me sick at my stomach. You know why? Because they can't be preaching the Bible because not every pericope and not every paragraph in the Bible has anything to do with giving. That's not the goal around here. The goal around here is for this church to obey God. And the truth is, if we all obeyed God in the area of giving, and you trusted Him, and your ultimate motivation was because of the gift that He has given to you and Himself, I would never even have to mention the word tithe. And we would have money running out of our ears to do anything and everything. We wouldn't have to go before every committee. You know what a camel is? It's a horse put together by a Baptist joint committee. Right? (laughs) Right? we got to meet about everything. And it just drives you nutty. Why don't we just let God work and get in on what He's doing in the community and around the world? Heaven's stewardship program. He was rich. For our sakes became poor. That through His poverty you might become rich. And don't even think that this is talking about material. It can be. But just think about how rich you are in Jesus. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies has been given to you because of Christ Jesus the Lord. This is the ultimate motivation for giving. There's, there is no greater. There's no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. Christians give. Generous giving is the province of a truly regenerate heart. Did y'all catch that? Do I need to say it again? Generous giving is the province of a regenerate heart. He's given you an indescribable gift. So here's my call to you. Look at the cross this morning. Consider what Jesus Christ has done for you and give. There's really no other response to a God who loved us like that. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, during our invitation time, Lord... This sermon is not first about the fact that we're going to put an offering in a basket. It's ultimately about the gracious God of the universe giving us our salvation through the Son of God. Thanks be to God for His inexpressible gift. God, You've been so good to us. You demonstrated Your love toward us in that while we were still sinners, You died for us. The Bible says in this same book, 2 Corinthians, that he that knew no sin became sin for us, that the righteousness of God might be in us. God, we thank you for that. Perhaps, Lord, there's someone in this building, and they were convicted down deep in their soul about the fact that they were lost. And, Lord, today you've convicted their heart, and you've shared with them through the preaching of the Word what the gift is. Is salvation by grace through faith alone in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, It's well been said in the Scriptures, Paul said, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried, and on the third day raised from the grave. This is the gospel that saves and changes lives. And Lord, we ask you today, if it it would be in your sovereign providential plan That you would save a soul this morning as the invitation is given. God, would they turn from sin and self and trust the inexpressible gift that's been given to them to forgive them of their sins. May they repent, turn from their sin, and see you for who you are and put their trust in you totally for salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.